Welcome back to Dyslexia and Beyond, where we interview people who have dyslexia and have succeeded by using it to their advantage, as well as people who are experts in dyslexia and other learning differences. My name is Marco Montalbano, and I am a student who has dyslexia and will be your host. Today, we'll be interviewing Fraser Rowland, someone who has a great deal of experience learning how to adapt to learning differences and using them to his advantage. He has a very unique perspective on learning differences, as originally, he did not have a learning difference, but a sudden event changed that. I will let him tell you more. So Fraser, how are you today? Pretty good. Uh, thanks, Marco, for having me today in your podcast. Um, it's great to share some of my stories with you and regarding, uh, as you put it in a good way, learning differences. Absolutely. So I don't know. You go ahead and ask me any question that you want, and then I just follow your lead. Do you want to introduce yourself, like maybe talk about what you do now? All right, no problem. Yeah, as you already said, my name is Fraser Roland. Um, I'm 53 years old, so that should be on the record. At least you know where I come from when it comes to um, learning and aging, I would say. Um, yes, um, I'm a professional, um, independent, um, freelance, if you want to call it that way, educator. I help students um, uh, learn SAT, ACT, UCAT, I used to teach MCAT, uh, LSAT, GRE, GMAT, all those, the standard of testing uh, for students to apply to uh, universities. So, yes, so that's what I do now. Um, but again, as I said, yes, I did have a severe brain injury, and that goes back to uh, about 23, 24 years ago. Um, that was pretty much at the beginning of my uh, so-called academic, you know, um, endeavor to uh, apply to medical schools had been already at the time, uh, undergrad for about six to seven years, um, doing pre-med, studying uh, biology, uh, academic studies, um, and getting ready for uh, medical school. So yes, I had everything under uh, control, so to speak. And this is just, again, before I get into medical school, I ended up with a severe brain injury in a simple accident. Now, the stories that I'm going to tell you, um, these are, I call them secondhand stories, especially the very first year right after my brain injury, um, because I lost my short-term memory. I'll give you a little background story based on what I've been told, because um, all the memories prior to the accident, uh, two months, all the memory two months prior to the accident and a year after the accident um, is not there. So because I had lost my short-term memory. So the brain injury that I had caused me to lose all the memories two months prior to the accident, about. And of course, it took me about a year to gain my short-term memory back. So this is story, and this is the most critical time of any brain um, injury survivor who is going to recover. So as they always say, 90% of your recovery is the very first year. So, and I was aware of that because of my biomedical background. So yes, uh, apparently I was in a basic, you know, simple accident, um, driving my bike with uh, unfortunately not having a helmet on. And this is in downtown Toronto. Again, I've been told all these things. Now, if those who are listening to the story and if the story doesn't match 100%, with those who witnessed my accidents, uh, I apologize for that because I've been told. So I might um, uh, not be able to, you know, 
to tell 100% exactly what happened. But again, the story is based on what I've been told. So yes, um, I was riding a bicycle. Uh, this is in Don Valley Parkway, uh, downtown Toronto, uh, with a friend of mine, um, Andy, and uh, Andy Danu. And yes, apparently I hit a pothole and I tumbled with my bike uh, about 100 feet downhill. And um, yeah, I ended up with a severe brain injury and quite a few like broken bones, broke both um, collarbones, a um, bunch of ribs, uh, three of my vertebrae was, uh, were broken and uh, my right eye get damaged severely uh, to a point that I went blind in right eye. And above all, I got a brain injury. So I entered the coma right away at the scene and it took me quite a few days to come out of the coma. And when I come out of the coma, I had lost my short-term memory. So this is, this is where my story starts. With um, not having short-term memory, it means you cannot learn. So practically, I was told that I had to be, you know, living in an institution for the rest of my life, that the government would look after me. And um, I'm a typical brain injury survivor with no short-term memory, and I was not capable of um, um, do anything on my own. So cognitively, when it comes to the cognition, for example, I was the, they did a bunch of neuropsychometric tests. Um, I don't know their scaling system, but I asked my neurologist to put it in a way that I could understand. He said, at the time I was, I don't know, 27, 28 years old, I was told that I was, I don't know, when it comes to my cognition, I was a five-year-old boy. So, and that was due to my short-term memory. The hippocampus of the brain was damaged severely. Um, the cerebellum was damaged as well. I had the problem walking, uh, keeping balance, no short-term memory, blind in one eye, the right eye. So big mess and I had to survive. So um, my story starts, again, the story that I'm telling you, I've been told how I struggled through the very first year. Uh, based on my previous uh, experience, I mean, I'd been through biomedical uh, studies for almost seven years, knew quite a bit about neurology, about how brain works. I'd taken courses in physiology, anatomy, uh, histology, name it, embryology, neurology, quite a bit. So I knew about how brain works and I knew about brain plasticity. Um, brain doesn't stay the same. Uh, we're always um, change. Now, there is for better or for good, but brain is capable of adapting. If one part of the brain, um, um, you know, is damaged, um, the other part of the brain will try to make up for that part. So knowing that uh, about brain plasticity, that, that I can mold my brain, but that comes, of course, with practice. So I asked the system, this is OHIP, the healthcare system in Ontario, that they would help me in any possible way, whatever I was entitled to. As a Canadian citizen, I was entitled to any healthcare. Uh, I asked them to sign me up. So I participated in quite a few clinical trials to gain my short-term memory back. And um, unfortunately, I had lost my auditory memory. So but my photographic memory somehow was intact. Now, people ask me, like, what's the difference? Um, I could see things and I could recall images, but I couldn't remember, recall sounds. So um, if you would tell me, uh, let's say, a telephone number fast, if I don't write it in my head, 
I noticed if I could picture the numbers as you tell me a number, I will write a number, then I can recall the number. But if I just hear it and don't write it in my head as if I haven't heard it. So it would be just, so this is how, I don't know which part of the brain was damaged. So I didn't have any auditory memory. So sounds were, I have to um, think of the word. So when you say something, I have to write it in my head. If you say hello, I have to say H-E-L-L-O. I have to type it in my head. Do you want to go into a bit more detail maybe about what they did to help you recover from your brain injury? Yeah, so I was diagnosed with this problem. So I had a, now, uh, the question was, this, am I capable of learning? Because I didn't have my short-term memory intact, all right? And uh, again, I don't have firsthand memory of this uh the state of, uh, of my mind at the time, but I've been told that if I would see you, let's say, in a party, and for the first time, I would introduce myself to you, you introduce yourself to me, and we talk, let's say after an hour of chit-chat, I would go to the bathroom, I would come back, and I would start all over again as I have, as if I had never seen you before. So I was that severe, that I had that much problem with my with my short-term memory. So um, what one of the things that the Toronto Rehab Institute did, they were one of the best, I would say, perhaps in the world, was uh, I went through different um, rehab. Um, of course, uh, speech therapy was one of them because I couldn't speak properly. Occupational therapy, how I can get back to my feet and, and cope with uh, my daily life, and also learning. So um, the person and the experts who were helping me, uh, they recognized that I um, my photographic memory, so to speak, was all intact. I could recall images easily, but I couldn't recall words in, when it came to sound. So that was their diagnostic at Toronto Rehab Institute. So they told me that, well, we're just gonna wait for whatever the part of your brain is involved with your auditory memory. You know, I, uh, We'll hope that it will heal. But right now, your photographic memory is intact. You can recall images. Like they showed me images and then uh, after like so five minutes, they would give me a bunch of images. Of which one we showed you five minutes ago? I could pick the images, but then if it would say me a few words, and after five minutes, we say which, uh, which of these words we were told you five minutes ago, I couldn't recall at all. So that's how they they did some sort of diagnostics, as if my photographic memory was all intact. So why don't you uh, can I can I make up uh, for the uh, my auditory memory impairment through my photographic memory. And that became a gift. So I was forced to rely on my photographic memory and make up for, again, my impaired auditory memory through my photographic. So, and that became a way of thinking and a way of looking at things for the first time differently and just relying. We all do, we all, uh, the so-called, Normal people, they use everything. They use their audit auditory, photographic, all that. So now I was just relying only on one aspect of my brain. Would you say that moving from more auditory to photographic was a beneficial change for you? Or do you think that was? Very much so. I mean, I I had to, I took advantage of the opportunity because now it, it was a learning difference. So I was not, uh, I was not handicapped. I was, I don't know what the word would be for that. Um, I had, I could, again, as I said, I could make up for uh, lack of one uh, functionality in my brain uh, using other function in the brain. And that was my photographic. And so I did, I did, I started, um, for example, when it comes to PowerPoint uh, design, 
if I were going to learn how to answer a math questions, so I have to write them down. I have to see all the numbers. I can't think of it as a sound in my head. I have to see it. Like it's a, the actual visual, um, you know, images. So, and then how I would um, show that to me in order as a solution to the question. So I, th I would just write that one. I go through the whole process of what goes to my mind. I have to see them now. So I would just write them down and then become a solution. And everybody else could see it. So whatever I could see, I can draw it. And I, and I said draw because practically writing becomes drawing for me. So when I was writing, I was not just writing words. I was drawing. Uh, I was not writing letters. I was drawing words. This is how I see it. So then I could show it to others and they could learn. Oh, wow, that's how you see the solution to this question. Yeah, that's how I see it exactly. And I can draw it for you, including, of course, equations, writing letters, numbers, all that. And that became a gift. So I became a very good PowerPoint designer. So I was introduced um, by the end of uh, my first year, after the first year that I went through, uh, I went to Rehab Institute like from Monday to Friday. They call it day hospital from Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Uh, I explore all the six floors of the Toronto Rehab Institute. I, they did their best for me. And within a year, I managed to uh, gain my short-term memory back, not through, again, not through sounds, through images. And that, it was difficult though. But again, my brain could adapt. I was aware that uh, brain never stops molding brain never stops you know so i knew that it's all it takes is some you know hard work and for my brain to be able to um to gain its functionality when it came to learning so learning for me becomes seeing so um I didn't back go to school because again still has some short-term memory impairment i have to find lots of coping mechanism in the meantime i've been told that i would take lots of notes i would record and this is the dawn of the um digital recording so it was pretty expensive. I had to borrow money and buy myself a digital recorder. And nowadays you can do it on your cell phone and all that. But back then there wasn't. Um, the first electronic device was called Palm Pilot back in uh, 1999, 2000. So I was able to actually use the first time to take notes, digital notes using Palm Pilot, which is uh, very funny if uh, you think about it. Did the Toronto Institute sponsor that or was that sponsored? Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. They did um, help me financially a little bit in order to buy some of these these items because it's part of the learning. But some of them I had to again, I had to. That's why I had to start working and um, and I was um, given the advice that um, I would be a very good teacher. And prior to that, I'd done some teacher assistance as well at, back in university, and uh, apparently I had some talent in order to communicate with students and teach. But this, again, this um, was some sort of leverage for me. So yes, I started I started teaching the um, SAT and the ACT, designing quest, uh, solution to questions, including, let's say, reading. Now, what has reading to do? Exactly, all right? So I was able actually to show how I read. Because you can't, you can't, you can tell someone how you read, but you can't show them. But I was able to show. So I would uh, use the text. Um, I would use again animation 
PowerPoint presentation, um, quite a bit heavy, and you have mm -hmm. already witnessed yourself some of the, this presentation. So I could use um, animation, highlighting, underlining, doing uh, pictures, doing different things, and I could show even something as abstract as reading, I could turn reading into a tangible phenomenon that you can actually see it. So now there's a technique that is in critical thinking. Uh, what to read for? And I can show it to you. Show it means the actual images. I can show you the actual word. And um, using punctuation, I can ignore the information that we call them uh, background noise. Don't pay attention to those. Pay attention to this. And then you could develop skill for critical reading. So again, yes, this learning difference, I turn it, again, I don't call this a handicap. Rather, a as you put it in a very good way at the beginning of your podcast, learning difference. And it turned out to be a very formidable, effective way of learning and at the same time teaching. So the, yes, since then I've been doing, so it's been almost like 20, wow, 20, 23, 24 years now. It's been almost 25 years, I guess. Uh, yeah, quarter of a century I've been doing this uh, and been very successful. You can give me anything. Doesn't matter whether it is physics, uh, calculus, math, reading, grammar. You've seen them with grammar, how I use color coding, different colors to show different things within the same sentence and show you different grammatical concepts uh, using color coding, um, using bolding, and it's all yeah, this, yeah, the font and all that. Yes, absolutely. And it's um, and I'm sure that perhaps you can relate to yeah, some of Yeah, I actually wanted to ask you a question on the note of that. Um, so for me, before I started working with you, I did some programming to help use my dyslexia, cope with it, better use it. But I feel like some of the work with you really helped me to, I want to say, unlock my potential as someone with dyslexia. Um, and I thought, do you mind going over like some of your thought process or how you think someone who has visual spatial mind should approach a problem? Because before you helped me with this, I was approaching it in the way that worked kind of all taught to at school, where it's you look at the textbook, you read the text, you try to understand the text, but then you taught me to approach problems in a much different way. Um, yes, one of the things that I noticed when I started working with you was I saw a parallel. I saw me 20 years ago. I said, wow, uh, Marco thinks the way that I do. And I, I was very explicit about this. I said, hey, we think in the same way. We see things through the same lens, so to speak. Um, a majority of people, again, as I said, I, I, I can recall me prior to uh, my accident and me after my accident. And I could compare these two, uh, two different persons um, and how I approached uh, learning prior to my brain injury and how I approached after. When I came, uh, when, when, uh, when we met for the first time, I said, wait a sec, I think he's in the same boat as I am. All right. And again, a, a different a different learning ability, right? So this learning difference um, I noticed in you, and then I thought maybe I can introduce you to, uh, and I've been actually explaining things in more details to you than to my regular students, all right? Um, to be honest with you, perhaps you, I had another student of mine, She this is years ago. Uh, she was an athlete, student athlete. Uh, she ended up in somewhere in, uh, I think Florida State University. Uh, she was doing, uh, sports scholarship, I can't remember, this is like 10 years ago, the same thing, right? And she was told that she can't do well on the SAT because of whatever. And then I said, uh, I had a conversation with her and I noticed that she was 
pretty much she had a learning difference as I had. That's why I could communicate with her easily. And then I showed her the coping mechanism that I had learned and turned those skills into actually advantage rather than disadvantage. So yeah, that was my experience with you, Marco. Exactly. And we have shared this quite a bit, both of us, all right? So yeah, I think you and I can, can see things better than we can hear. Right. So when it comes to a text, if you want to analyze a text, when it comes to critical thinking, I create images of whatever the event is. All right. Um, words. Um, right after my brain injury, I noticed that I couldn't see numbers upside down. I just couldn't read the numbers and my brain would uh, turn 12 if I see upside down as 21 or 13 as 31. My brain couldn't distinguished different this is how i've been since then all right so that became of course so that was um a um yeah you, you could call that that's yes so i was more or less disabled to see because your brain can easily distinguish if i show a number upside down you can see the real number but i couldn't and it still am like that so for me it was coping mechanism so what should i do well so just turn the page if i was tutoring someone in person i wouldn't see it opposite him or her. I will sit next to him or her, right? So I can see it from the state. So this is called coping mechanism. And I was introduced to coping mechanism from day one from uh, in Toronto Rehab Institute, especially with the speech therapy, all right? So learning new words. How should I do that? How can I recall? Repetition, repetition through writing becomes one very good coping mechanism. So if I, were, if I were going to learn a new words for the first time, I have to write it and I have to look at every single letter as a character. All right. So, and then I would try to, I stare at the, at the word and then I close my eyes and then I could say, can I picture it? Now, even to a point that I can, I can recall the colors. I can, that's why I can see a lot of color coding in all, it doesn't matter whether I'm teaching math or grammar or English, every single word has got different color. One of the things that I did, I showed you the growth formula, the growth or decay. I can close my eyes and I can, tell you what the, the color of each letter is in the formula. I can see it. So I started doing this for physics formulas, the tons of physics, all right? I pictured them like penguins marching in front of my eyes. So that became an amazing way to do it. So I would stare at the word and um, so I would stare at the word and um, um, uh, see the, the, the formula uh, as one image and i always told myself it's easier to remember um, an image than a bunch of words or you've heard uh, the expression a uh, picture speaks thousand words all right it was the same thing for me so then i say okay close your eyes now can you see it physically now if something is in a capital letter can you see it in capital letter if something is a lowercase can you see the lowercase and if it's the color can you see the color of each letter in the formula all right, so like uh, right now I can close my eyes and I can, if I bring the growth formula, I remember, I, I can picture, I can see A equals to P open bracket, one plus minus R percent divided by N close bracket the power of NT. A is in blue, P is in red, one is in black, the brackets are in black, uh, R is in um, uh, R is in green, N is in uh, uh, yellow, and T is in black. I can just see it, and I can bring the formula, and you can see the formula the exact same. So that became a way of learning for me. Yeah, by contextualizing the formula with different colors, it, you were playing on the visual aspects of our brain to make it 
I guess, sink in quicker or actually instead of looking at it like, oh, this is text, you're looking at it, oh, this is an image and there's aspects of this image I can learn. And then once you get that image out of your brain later on when you're recalling it, you can translate the parts of the image into kind of like a text, text format. format. And then, I then, really, then I can yeah, read it out loud for you. Then use it. Yeah. You've heard some people say, I can uh, and, recognize faces, but I don't forget their names. Why? Because they memorize their names using their auditory memory, but they, they, yeah. they, uh, they can see them. So, and it's true, photographic memory is much more powerful and easier if you, if you tap into it, if you access that. That's, yeah, that's, I, I do recall. Yeah. Uh, this is how I learned anything. You give me a new word, I have to write it down, right? And then I learned phonetics, yeah, I phonetic letters, all right, for pronunciation, and it helped. So I cannot recall the sound. So if you give me a new word for the first time, right? Pronounce it, how do you pronounce it? Why, if somebody reads it for me out loud, right? So it's a sound. I can't. So what should I do? Well, can I represent sound with letters? Yes. I learned Oxford phonetics, all of them. There's monophthongs, diphthongs, triphthongs, and each letter there's a schwa sound. There is I can write them. It's all new alphabetic letter for me. All right. Actually, there's more than there's like a 33 of them. All right. I learned all these phonetic symbols. I used the Oxford version. You could use the Webster uh, version. And now, so for me. To hear a sound and recall that sound, I have to write it, write it in phonetics, right? So, and then again, picture that, and then the sound can be created. So I know it's interesting, right? This is, this is how brain works and how brain can make up for, again, as I said, one part of the brain doesn't work, no problem. The other part is going to make up for that, all right? So this is... Um, Regarding coping mechanisms, uh, again, as I said, I started with taking lots of notes, all right, of the incident. Uh, whatever conversation I had, if it's something important, uh, I've been told that I used to write stuff on my skin if I didn't have a piece of paper. I would grab a pen and write it on my hand, on my arms, all right? Um, that sort of thing. This is at the very beginning, all right, just to be able to recall some of this information. Um, but at this point right now, it's become so normal to me that that's the only way that I can think. I can think through images. I can think, when you talk, I'm not kidding you, I'm typing your words in my head. I can see them. When you, then I can make sense of it 100%. If you say something fast and I'm, if I'm not paying attention, if I'm not typing it, I can't hear you properly. I can, I can hear you, but I can't, I can't understand what you're exactly saying. So, yeah, I do a, I do a similar thing where someone's talking to me or they're bringing up some topic or I'm trying to learn something like every like sentence or series of like important events or words will be translated into an image in my brain, then stored. I feel like, like, oh, um, if you're talking to me, I'm like, okay, that's the image associated with that word. That's an image associated with that sentence. And then it's stored. Then I store it like that. And then later on, I recall these images in order to, like understand what I just learned. I do the same thing with recalling and, information, how to retrieve it. And this is actually, yeah. And this is actually something you, at, when we first started together with uh, with math a few few years ago, this is actually what you were trying to get me to do or science, uh, look at the textbook, look at the image, and then look at the words after that, but then associate those words the into the image. Yeah. And before I would just take the words and try to like, print the words into a page in my mind. But now I do, okay, there's the image. 
here are the words explaining the image, fitting them, to, fit them together into one, like one unit, and then put them in my mind. And then it creates an even better understanding of a topic because I'm using my visual spatial brain at the same time as having like uh, now not only going like, okay, this is what the textbook said, but being able to like come up with a more simplified or more direct approach or creative approach to the problem because I understand the topic. Yeah, now this is the easiest way to do uh, when the text has got an image, all right? So that's, yes, exactly, that's how mm -hmm. I do. I look at the image as and try to absorb as much as possible. Then I read the text and I say, this text is explaining this image. So instead of me listening to the, uh, hearing the words, I look at the image while I'm reading, right, back and forth. And then uh, the text creates some sort of story for me. Uh, then I look at the image, the image helped me to animate that, uh, whatever the function, if the function, uh, reading the function of, let's say, a device or a phenomenon, right? Now, but what if, if you don't have the image? Then I need to create the image. So I read, if it's a, like stories, for example, that's why I, uh, if I'm reading a fiction, I have to create images. If I'm reading history, now I'm taking advantage of the internet, all right? Let's say if there's a few new characters that I've come across for the first time. I'm reading something about Alexander the Great. So the first thing I do, okay, I'll go to Google image, uh, type in Alexander and some of his, you know, the old ancients, you know, Ancients, yeah, yeah. The, the Greeks um, or um, actually he was from Macedonia. Macedonian um, things, and then I create, I look at some of these images, it, I don't have to uh, create myself, so I can, it's, it's at my disposal, I can look at it, I look at all these different images of these characters, then I'm going to read history, as I'm reading, as I come across Alexander, I can see that image, uh, his, his generals, I can see an image of the generals, I have an image of like how, for example, he would uh, ride a horse, then I read, and as I read, I create images for me. And then after I finish, now I'm not thinking about the words. I'm thinking about the images that I've created as a story. So it becomes a sort of animation yeah. in my head. Now I can, uh, I can recall, I can tell you the story by visiting, again, recalling and reminding myself, uh, thinking and seeing these images in my head. Uh, it's a powerful yeah. way of... I think this is... Yeah. Mm -hmm. You can finish. Yeah, so finish. It's, a, it's a powerful way of of um, uh, recalling information. Now, I people talk about word association in order to recall something. All right, I do the same thing. If you want to um, uh, recall information, re, re, let's say if you're going to retrieve information for the first time, and somebody reminds you, I need to create some sort of association. All right, um, you could you could I like for example the person who helped me uh, Toronto rehab. Her name was Mandy. I see Mandy, I recall her face, and and I see Nelson Mandela next to her. I don't know how this association has been created. So I can't, I never forget her name. Why? Because uh, when it comes to, uh, she, she was my, I think, uh, yeah, occupational therapist, I believe. Uh, she helped me with some of these things, all right? So I see Mandy, this is 25 years ago. I see Nelson Mandela, and I see me. Uh, second or third floor of Toronto Rehab Institute working, you know, on my thing. So this is called association. You can use word association. Now you can, I can use image association. People use lots of mnemonics. I can't do mnemonics, all right? Yeah. But I can do image association easily. Yeah, that's, that's how I would see it. 
I think this also shows how important it is to read, especially if you're visual, spatial, or dyslexic, because it doesn't only like build your reading skills, which are usually a weakness for people like us, but it teaches you how to associate words with photos and actually take advantage of your dyslexia. But that's only if you're reading right. If you're reading it, like we talked about earlier, just like hear the words, take in the words, then you're reading like a regular person and you want to read like someone who's visual, spatial or dyslexic and focus on the photos those those words create. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And then learn how to create images for a pure text. Yeah. And it, it really works. And even I recommend everyone. It's a much more powerful and it's, it's, it's a very formidable uh, skill to, it's easier. That's how I see it. Um, and I wish I knew this even prior to my brain injury. I believe that I could do actually more. So it's easier for me to um, uh, memorize. When you say memorize, what do you mean by memorizing things, all right? So again, as I said, I see characters. Why? Because it's easier to recall an image than recalling a bunch of words. So, and it's true for everyone. You ask everyone, and say, yeah, it's easier to re recall. So why, why don't you do the same thing? Why don't you um, use um, images more than uh, you know words or auditory words, right? Some people memorize because they it rhymes something, all right? As they as I've been told, right? say so say hey, how do you memorize a song like a singer, right? They said they just memorize it because they can hear it. Now, if I were to go into sing something, I can see the lyrics. Actually, I can see them. I can see the words. All right, and then I will start typing in front of my eyes, like a little picture, and then I will read those ones. So I'm reading uh, uh, the text as I can see the text in my head. This is, and it's a very easy way to do. I've talked to some people say, hey, you're a good singer. How do you memorize it? Just memorize them. It just, when I start singing, the words just, I can, I can hear them. I said, oh, I can't hear them, but I can see them. I see them and then I, then I, then I verbalize those and I say, yeah, this is, this is how I say. I think it's so wonderful. Yeah. That's why I say, and the way you started the podcast in the best way is a learning difference. That's all it is. And because not many people do this, this is my advice. Um, dyslexia could be an advantage uh, in a group though, because we always look for diversity, right? Because if everyone is thinking uh, in one specific, um, let's say, um, uh, frequency all right then there are other information in a different frequency and you won't be able to hear them so so if there's someone who can hear with a different frequency actually yeah now uh, i think if there's a group of people who are let's say going to do some research it would be good to have someone um uh, let's say you want to use the word dyslexic sure no problem uh, i would say use some someone with a different learning difference uh that's um, mm -hmm. um, even I call the other one learning difference as well, all right? So a different learning difference, all right? Um, so actually that person, he or she can actually hear other information that is coming through different uh, frequency. Um, the same thing, like in cosmology, we're doing the same thing, all right? In cosmology, we're not just relying on one specific uh, uh, visible spectra, uh, spectra, right? The visible light. You can, you can see things through infrared, you can see things through ultraviolet. You can see things through X-ray. You can see things through gamma ray. You can use, you can, you can detect things through radio waves, through microwaves. It's not just only one visible light spectrum. 
this is what I believe. So those people, whatever you want to call them, dyslexic or learning difference, I'll go with that. Yes, I think it would be actually uh, an addition to the body of research. If, if let's say, it's a group of people are doing research, it would be so, it would be, I think, would be much more effective if you have someone with a learning difference so I can see other aspect of the research that most people can't see. And I think that's, uh, and I've witnessed that in you. You have been able to tap into that uh, reality of your learning difference and uh, take advantage of it in a very positive and constructive way. That's how, that's how I see it. That's, yeah, learning difference, that's all it is. Going back to, um, to kind of a way at the start of this podcast, uh, would you mind maybe like going into a bit more detail on like what your mindset was before? Like how, how did your uh, brain injury affect your, like your thought process? What would you have done differently if it maybe never happened? And like, maybe you went to the benefits of it happening. If you think, because I hear you talk a lot about it as a positive, because it made you use your visual mind, if that's okay to say, but yeah, um, I already uh, answered this question to a, to a point. Um, if I had not gone through this experience of the brain injury and surviving uh, the accident, uh, if, if, if that had not happened, I wouldn't be here to talking about it because I didn't have that experience. And also, um, if you don't, uh, let's, if you've never been to Hawaii, all right. If let's say you've never been to Hawaii, there's no way you could miss Hawaii because you've never been to Hawaii. All right. So it's the same thing. I don't. Uh, it would be so difficult to explain this for someone who is very settled with the, the so-called normal way of learning. Well, normality is majority. All right. If a majority of people do this, then that's the way it goes. So um, it would be difficult, I think. But if you let's put you under that category of normal people who learn through whatever normal way is, and I used to be like that, um, then um, I think if you don't know that there are other aspects of human brain that you can actually tap into and take advantage, I don't think you're encouraged. And also change is always difficult, all right? But definitely I would recommend for not just people, of course, if those who are, who have, uh, learning differences, they can easily um, um, appreciate a different way of uh, learning and approaching to um, anything that is supposed to be, you know, discussed and learned. Now, yeah, my advice is, what if, if you are the so-called, again, this is a big quotation around it, uh, a normal way, of, a, a person with a normal way of learning, I say, yes, you could actually take advantage of this uh, and learn um, how you could actually use uh, imagery as a part of learning. How, as a singer, instead of memorizing sounds, can you uh, memorize uh, words as, as small images, as small characters? And then these characters start marching in front of your eyes, and then you read those characters. All right, this is, this is the only difference. And I think that would be an amazing, an extra skill that everyone can learn. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to be, well, I mean, I was forced to, I was forced to, I didn't have any other options. So that was, was available for me and I tapped into it. And since then, yes, uh, I have, that's, you've seen it. I can, I can animate anything. I can grab, it doesn't have to be mm -hmm. calculus or physics or math. Uh, you've seen it, grammar, uh, reading, 
I write the text, I decolor code it, uh, I use uh, uh, highlight, underline, animation, I put circles around it, back and forth, and I create that solution even with such an abstract thing It's called critical thinking. All right, we turn it into a tangible phenomenon that you actually can see it. Yeah, I would say um, this is a, a good method if, um, again, this is very anecdotal in a way because it's just me. Uh, I think you can testify to some of this as well because we, again, as I said, yes. we see the same thing. Um, yeah, but I think, yeah, it would be a good thing for everyone uh, to learn as a extra skill. You don't have to be dyslexic in order to uh, benefit from uh, from this uh, you know, brain functionality or yeah. brain, the ability of the brain to make up for other aspects of uh, brain function. And I think that plays plays into the advantage of actually having dyslexia, right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, we have the advantage time. of being able to play into that part of our brains very easily. And that part of our brain is very powerful. It allows creativity. It allows us to visualize problems incredibly quick while other people might be struggling to even draw them out on paper. We can just form a solution in our mind, right? Yes, I, w and that's, I was. I, I had someone else um, yesterday. She's an artist. Um, Isabel, one of my students, right? Uh, I was mm -hmm. showing her, I was teaching her uh, trigonometry. So she's an artist, all right? I said, hey, I'm going to show you unit circle and everything is image. I'm going to draw a circle for you. I'm going to show you what is sine, cosine axis, tangent, cotangent. I'm going to show you, show, like you can see them. You can see all these trigonometric ratios, not as ratios. You can see distance. You can see line. And you've seen that presentation as well. So I showed her, uh, I just told her like a sine and cos, and then I said, before I show her the next step, I'm going to ask her, see if she can uh, predict what is that. She started. So that was interesting. And even I stopped and said, that, wow, Isabel, actually you, you're one of the very few students I've seen that you can, I just showed it to you one. Now you're taking that image that I just showed you, you're applying to coast, she could answer all the questions. Apply to tangent, cotangent. Then I showed her secant and cosecant. And she started just guessing all that without, before I showed her, before I go and you know, click and show her the next move, she would just predict that. I said that you are very good with your photographic memory. I said, well, I'm an artist, Razor. <laughs> and that's what she does. She has to create images, all right? So yes, it's, it's, it's true, all right? So it's that you don't have, to, it is an advantage. Definitely, yeah, you could. And you don't have to be, again, you don't have to be a brain injury survivor like me in order to take advantage of it. Everyone, I think, can do. Yeah, I think that says a lot too about how like current systems are taught in education, right? Um, a lot of times math in particular is taught by, okay, here's a handout. Here's how we do a question, just examples. Here's how it's solved via an example. Now figure it out and do it. Here's a worksheet. But then the approach you take and the approach you've trained me to take when I'm trying to learn a new concept or study out of school is completely visual. Take like a, open a graphing calculator or software, for example, plug in the thing you're trying to figure out, and then use that as your way you t learn, okay, if I draw, slide this bar back and forth, this is how the function changes. Or as you said, don't learn trigonometry through sine is- Opposite over um, thing, just a ratio. Like, don't, zero, I wanna uh, show it to yeah. that line. Yeah. yeah, you're so correct yeah. about- show, show the line. Yeah, yeah like I, I show a, let's say, I, I write a quadratic equation. I said, what do you see? You see, X squared says, no, what do you see? I, I asked you guys, I said, oh, uh, I, this equation mm -hmm. says, no, you're supposed to see the graph. 
If I say x squared plus 2x minus 10, what do you see? You see a parabola. Then I say, okay, so what else do you see? This parabola opens up or opens down, all right? So you look at equations and you see graphs. I draw a cubic function, all right? I say, what do you see? You see a cubic graph. I, yeah, I draw a quartic function. See, I see, I use the word draw, not just write. So when I write as if I'm drawing something, I say that, what do you see? So you, you grab all these different algebraic functions and you create an image. So when I look at a absolute value function, I see a V vectory, all right? If, it's, uh, if the coefficient is negative, I see upside down V, all right? Then when it comes to function translation or transformation, these things become so easy, and I've showed it to you how you can use your calculator. Always say, don't try to, just try to see them first. See all this function, and then you can manipulate it. The same thing with trigonometry. You can do all this stuff. Then math, you grab math, is not abstract anymore. Right? Math becomes so tangible. You can see this thing. You can see all the functions. You can see how these things work. I'll look at numbers as character. When you say number two, I see a number line. I see zero. And I see two units to the right of that. When you say root two, square root of two, I see 1.4 before 1.5. So actually, I see the irrational numbers. So you say square root of three, I see 1.7. I see two notch, like two little things to the right of 1.5 on a number line. So numbers becomes character for me, all right? And that's why irrational numbers make sense to me, even though they're irrational, but I can see them. All right, pi, I see 3.14, where? On a number line. So I see a number line, three units to the right of zero, and a little bit of 1.415926 and all that, all right? So we did that practice on memorizing pi as uh, you memorize up to, I don't know, 30, 40 um, digits, all right? So we started creating that image and going through it, all right? And that we were just playing with our photographic memory, how we can recall this number. Yeah, and that was a really good exercise, just taking a number and looking at it in terms of, okay, this is a section, and memorize that as an image and place it before after the previous image. That was an excellent way to like practice tapping into photographic memory, because instead of just remembering like 3.14155, I'm remembering like 3.14, and then then what's one more than 14 that's 15 yeah. so 3.1415 and then yeah. each of those becomes an that's associated either yep. from the previous number or as a chunk of an image that i could pull out of my mind and then i remember i challenged you once yeah. uh, like i i was like out of the blue right i would do, would do some <laughs> uh, reading and then i wanted to say hey what's the pie tell me you went up to 30 digits do you remember that so and that was like unexpected. Yeah. So we, I let it go for a week, all right? I let you go for a week. We were just focusing on reading. And then I interrupted. I said, hey, by the way, can you tell me? Did you tell me what pi is? You went up to 30. Yeah, middle of a sentence. Everything yeah. just, just went like a train of words, a train of numbers. Just a, So this is, yeah, this is, this, is, this is how the brain works. And again, because get back to that brain plasticity. Brain is plastic. Brain yeah. never stops. You can mold the brain. You can you can adjust the brain. All right. You can do it in different ways. It, but all now the younger you are is easier it is. The older you get, harder it is. But it still is possible though. So if it takes yeah. uh, let's say an hour for you to um, the one that I did, the one that I challenged was this is the house that Jack built. Now I have an image oh, yeah. in front of me right now. And I memorized this in 2000 and a year after my short-term memory. So that was a challenge that 
uh, Mandy, I think, gave me. He said, can you memorize this poetry? So this is old English. This is the house that Jack built. I'm looking at the camera. This is the images of fine. This is the corn that lay in the house that Jack built. This is the rat that ate the corn that lay in the house that Jack built. This is the cat that killed the rat that ate the corn that lay in the house that Jack built. This is the dog that tossed the cat that killed the rat that ate the corn that lay in the house that Jack built. This is the cow with crumpled horn that tossed the dog that carried the, that worried the cat that killed the rat that ate the corn that lay in the house that Jack built. So these numbers are just, just going in front of me and I can see them. And this is like 22 years ago. The image is still is there. Yeah. This is uh, this is the girl. Uh, I forgot. See that the image. I see a girl here. Was it the girl? This is the maiden. Yeah, because I see a, a she has she has an apron. All right. So this is the image. So this is the maiden. Uh, this is the maiden. Yeah. This is the maiden. This is the maiden who milked the cow with crumpled horn that tossed the dog that carried the cat that ate the corn that lay in the house that Jack built. This is the man, all tattered and torn, that kissed the maiden all forlorn. I don't know what the word forlorn just came to my mind. Oh, see, this image is just coming up. I see, I see a house, I see a rat, I see a bunch of corn, I see a, a rat, I see a cat, I see a dog, I see a cow with crumpled horn, I see a maiden all forlorn. It's on her own. I see a man, a young man, and he's poor. All his clothes are torn and tattered. So this image, this, this was 22 years ago. The image is there. I can look at the image. You can check the, um, the internet right now, see how close I am to this song. So this is the house that Jack built. This is the rat that ate the corn that laid the house that Jack built. This is the cat that killed the rat that ate the corn that lay in the house that Jack built. This is the dog that worried the cat that killed the rat that ate the corn that lay in the house that Jack built. This is the cow with crumpled horn that worried the that tossed the dog that carried that worried the cat that killed the rat that ate the corn that lay in the house that Jack built. Its image is just coming. This is the maiden all forlorn that left the cow with crumpled horn that tossed the dog that worried the cat that killed the rat that ate the corn that lay in the house that Jack built. This is the man all tattered and torn that kissed the maiden all forlorn, that milked the cow with crumpled horn, that tossed the dog that worried the cat that killed the rat that the crumpled that lay in the house of Jackal. I see a priest now. This is the priest, all shaven and shorn, that married the man all tattered and torn, that kissed the maiden all forlorn, that milked the cow with crumpled horn, that tossed the dog that that worried the cat that killed the rat that ate the crumpled that lay in the house of Jackal. Now I see a rooster. And the image is, I don't have the image. I see just the rooster. And then I know there's something after that with the rooster, but I can't call. Yeah. See? Yeah, and this is really interesting, right? Because this this uh, like poem, or I don't know if song, poem, had like a, it was really important at the time because wasn't it had, had, to do, it had to do with something about when you were able to leave the Toronto Institute, was that correct? Um, yes. Um, uh, did I tell you a story about it? What was the story? Just uh, recall, uh, just remind me of it. I can't remember. I, there, uh, do you want to go into the reason why you had to learn this? Poem? Okay. Oh, oh, this one. This one after ten yeah. months of rehab. All right. Uh, I was audited by Ottawa mm. because the 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 health bill was huge. I think they spent I don't know one point three million something like that. I th so I was audited. So I see some people coming uh, um, to Toronto rehab. Said that there are some people uh, they need to talk to you. Why? Your health bill is very high because I participated in so many different uh, clinical trials, 
everything, whatever I was entitled to, you know, I just got it. And they wanted to see for themselves that this guy who started with, I don't know, 5% in his neuropsychometric test after 10, after 10 months of rehab, he can actually, he can talk, he can speak, he can walk. I couldn't even walk properly, right? He can recall information, right? So yeah, I met with, I think two or three of them. Two, yeah, two or three. And they said that, why are you auditing me? He said, um, it's, your bill is too high. You're too good to be true. Your case, your case is too good to be true. We wanted to see it for ourselves. Yeah, I sat down with these guys from uh, government, right, Ontario government, um, and they were just looking at um, my bills. They're like, whoa, who are, you? who's this guy with this? You know, through I, I had to go through a bunch of surgeries, and, you know, fix my bones and all that story, right? I fixed my eye, I got my vision back in my right eye and all that. And when it comes to memory, so one of the things that they have done, I think um, it was Mandy, perhaps. She asked me to see if I could memorize this one and I think rehearse it for these guys. All right. That's how it started. So uh, I took a week. It took me a week to memorize that. So to create images. Right now I'm telling you, I have I have this image. I have this 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 animation. I just read it for you. All right. I lose the image uh, at the rooster at the end. Uh, I, I can't see that image is faded away, but I can recall everything else. So I just went in front of them. I said that I was given this assignment, something like that, to memorize this this old English. Something is very funny at the same time, all right? And so being fun, you know, entertaining, but at the same time, see if, if I can actually do it, if I can memorize. Yeah. And I think that was, that was also probably a good choice for a poem for you because it's all stuff that's visual. Right? Everything. Each of those that, things, how do you, you see? I see, I see these images. Right? I see a house. I see this yeah. guy's name is Jack. Right? <laughs> the, 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 it's I, like watching like a slideshow presentation where it tells that's you how to see the poem, yeah. right? And that's that's what we all have to try to tap into. Mm -hmm. right? And and I'm telling you, this is still, I have to go and just look at um, the next. If I just show me, show, to read the very last, Whatever, I think there's only two or three lines more left. The the rooster does something, and it's called this is this is the cock. This is the old English cock for rooster. It's something. The image is not there. See, I cannot recall. Right, but I just read it for you. I I can read that over and over because this image just comes in front of me, and it's a very funny image. And when I say crumpled horn, I really can see this this cow is heading the poor dog and toss the dog into the air, all right, then land it, all right? Oh, and I said that you deserve that. Why? Because you worried the cat, because he was chasing the cat earlier. And I saw the cat grab the rat and it killed, killed the rat. Yeah, and then the rat was, he was actually a pest because he was eating all the corn that, that Jack had laid, uh, that laid in the house. Mm -hmm. So this animation is there. So that was a challenge I was given. I memorized it. I presented, and then they said, interesting. So no, it, and they told me, I said that, yeah, so you're real. I said, yeah, what did you expect? I said, yeah, it was too good to be true that you've met. They were looking at my neuropsychometric test 10 months prior to that event, right? Now they were talking to me. And then, yeah, I, and since then I've been very independent. Yeah, I started working, working and teaching and learning at the same time, of course. You went. Well, you went back to university after that, right? And how was your experience, experience um, there? So no, after that, I, I didn't. So I was supposed to go back and um, start medical school. Uh, so I still was suffering from some sort of short-term impairment yet, all right? Financial burden was another thing, all right? So I started working, teaching, 
So I started teaching in the States for quite a few years there. It was fun. And I, again, I used all this new um, way of learning to help my students, uh, to help my students learn, right? So I helped them learn new ways. And this is, this has been what, 23 years now. All right. And I, I felt I was very productive with my teaching style. Um, using animation, PowerPoint. Yeah, I used to use um, uh, sound within the animation, with, like in classes. Now I don't do that anymore um, uh, with the online ones because um, uh, if I play something, you can't hear it. It's through the, my microphone, all right? So that's why I yeah. don't do that. But there's a lot of sound at the same time associated with the image for students because they they uh, they could remember a sound better than I did. So I started, I incorporated a sound in so many of these animations quite a bit. And it's still, there are some of the old ones still, uh, the sound is there and you can hear it. Um, but you can't hear it if I'm teaching online, but if you see it in person, you could, uh, yeah. you could hear it. So yes, all this helped and students started doing really well. So, um, and for me it was a question, can I, should I go back to school continue medicine or I can send if I go back to school I'm sending one person back to school but right now what I'm doing I'm sending at a time in the states I was teaching huge classes so we're talking about at least 800 to 1000 students per year I was teaching and then when I came to mm -hmm. Canada I started my own business I started teaching in different schools uh, I was down to 200 students per year all right now privately I'm down to Wow, quite a few, like 30, 40 students per year easily, privately, right? That I'm just helping. Um, so yes, the decision for me was, what do you want to do? And I was still, you know, I was young at the time. And I said, no, I want to continue. I want to continue with, uh, with um, to work as a freelance educator, help the students, especially with those with learning differences and help them learn and actually take advantage of their learning difference and the way that you've done it. I mean, you yourself, Marco, you've put yourself way ahead of the game compared to a lots of people in your class, all right? So yes, this, this I think this is something that uh, you don't have to be dyslexic in order to take advantage of it. But I think if you're dyslexic, you don't have any other option. I think then you're lucky. Then you're forced to tap into this yeah. part. That's how I see it. Now, um, that's why if, again, I don't know the, what that word means, normal uh, people, whatever you call them, the way that I was before the brain injury, if they could tap into this, even they, they can do even better, but unfortunately they're in their comfort zone and they would never uh, bother to explore other aspects of uh, uh, human brain, how, how, how they can learn. Yeah. Thank you so much, Fraser. Um, yeah, running it was a bit short great. On time I know, now. we're just out of time, so, fast. Hey, uh, it was a great yeah. pleasure to talk to you about this. And um, anytime, if you want, I it's can good. come back and we can talk about more details. Uh, yeah, yeah, if you have more time, uh, I really appreciate the opportunity at the same time. And yes, and thank you for using was, the word uh, learning difference. And that's how I see it. Um, I don't know how other call me, but um, I do say that, yeah, I do have a learning difference. And I really rely on my photographic memory more than anything else in order to hear things, to see things, and to learn and, and retrieve information. Yeah, it was an amazing experience working with you, you today. I'm sure everyone will be really happy to hear what you have to say. And I think you share some great opinions and experiences. So without that, I, I hope you have the great rest of your day. And um, I look forward to meeting with you again yeah, soon. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening. 
to this month's episode of Dyslexia and Beyond. I can't wait to see you next month when we interview Raymond Moylan, a support teacher who has decades of experience teaching people with learning differences from across the world.